Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome home. This is Tracy, and we want to thank you for being a part of the Life Together podcast. Before we get into this week's teaching, we want you to know that you matter to God and you matter to us. Life Together is a Wednesday evening gathering for worship, Bible study, and community here at Oak Creek Assembly of God in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. It was kind of a crazy weekend, and I don't want to be that pastor that complains a little bit, um, but all weekend long through the seven worship services and being out of town the first two days of the week, it was like every spare moment I got, I'd have this like moment with God and go, I need a sermon. <laughs> like, I, just, I just need one sermon. I need, I, need one, I need one sermon. I really, really need one sermon. And I ended up with three, and I'm so sorry. <laughs> and I just need to tell you that it's going to be okay, but with or without your permission, I'm going to preach three sermons tonight. Don't freak out. I can do it in a regular amount of time. We're just going to move kind of quickly. You look terrified. It's going to be okay. I sometimes have trouble organizing my thoughts, so I put the three chairs up here to kind of help me organize my thoughts a little bit. And so if you will go on this journey with me, I think we can make it through this together. Are you ready? We're in a series called God is Calling You as we are working through five individuals that God called by name twice. Not Dan and then later Dan, but then Dan, Dan. The first week we looked at Abraham, Abraham. The second week we looked at Jacob, Jacob. And then last week we looked at Moses, Moses. And we find ourselves starting tonight in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 3. So I'm reading from 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 2 through 10. And it reads like this. One night, Eli, who was almost blind by now, had gone to bed. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark of God. Suddenly, the Lord called out, Samuel. Yes, Samuel replied. What is it? He got up and ran to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, Eli replied. Go back to bed. And so he did. Then the Lord called out again, Samuel, Again, Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, my son, Eli said. Go back to bed. Samuel did not know yet the Lord because he had never had a message from the Lord before. So the Lord called a third time, and once more Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? Then Eli realized it was the Lord who was calling the boy. So he said to Samuel, go and lie down again, and if someone calls again, say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And so Samuel went back to bed, and the Lord came and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. Let's pray together tonight. Father, we love your word. We thank you that you are a God who does not stand far off. You are a God who calls to your people. And as we lean into your word tonight, that you might speak to us that we might be honored to hear your voice. We pray for your Holy Spirit to guide every word that's said. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So 12 years before 1 Samuel chapter 3, there is this woman, and her name is Hannah. And Hannah is in a relationship where she is married to a man, but this man has two wives. If anyone ever tells you that the Bible is pro-polygamy, they're not paying attention because there are polygamous relationships in the Bible, but every single time they go very, very poorly. It is God's way of saying, you can try this, but it's not going to work. 
And Hannah and her sister wife is one of those moments that just clearly does not work. Because as they're going through this, Hannah's sister wife, whose name was Peninnah, has many children. And in her age, when there was no way to succeed in life, but through the descendants of your children, she was not someone who could go and get a career. She wasn't someone who could pursue meaning in other ways in her life. There was this one path towards success. She was unable to be successful because she was infertile. And so every year, Hannah and her family would go visit the house of the Lord, and it was a journey that they would make to bring sacrifices. And when they would bring sacrifices, there was a special thing that would happen for each family member. And if you had children, there were extra portions that would be given to you because of the honor of having kids. And so every year, Hannah would come to this place, and her sister wife would get these extra blessings because she had children and Hannah did not. And at this moment that was supposed to be the celebration every year, it was this time that for Hannah brought so much pain and sorrow because she was unable to find meaning in her life. And so one day she goes to the temple and she is heartbroken before the Lord, crying out to help. And there is a priest there who has mercy upon her and says, God sees you today. He hears your call. He is going to grant your request for a son. And so she goes home, and by the time she comes back the next year, she has a son, she has a baby boy, and his name is Samuel. And in this great gift that Hannah receives from God, she makes a promise to God to say, because you have shown favor upon me, because you have given me this son, I am going to worship you, and my worship to you is I'm going to give you back this child. And what an amazing statement of faith to give. Interesting thing, uh, God continued to bless Hannah. Hannah ended up with six children by the end of her life as God healed her infertility and allowed her to find meaning and blessing in the culture that she lived in by having children. So Samuel comes back, and most historians are guessing somewhere between age three to age five is when Hannah comes back with Samuel, and then she leaves him there. This is not a place that is close to home. This is not the same as dropping your kid off at daycare. This is traveling somewhere that you can only get to once a year and leaving your three- or four-year-old child. And Samuel is left there to be a child of the priesthood, to grow up at church. And I kind of grew up at church, but I didn't grow up at church like this because this would be a little crazy, right? Because there's, there's a lot of strange things that happen around this building that sometimes, but not as crazy as having like a three-year-old live here. Like... like it would get messy, like you got to potty train the child, right? It's like, I mean, it was, it was normal during that time to have a priest who would live there. They would have like their living quarters built into the temple area, but it was not normal to have a three-year-old also living there. And this was Samuel's life, right? He grew up in this space. He was used to the patterns of worship that he would experience. And what a, what a thing to grow up with. You know, during that time, this was before Christ. This was before their awareness that their sins could be lifted by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So during this time, the only way to have sin lifted off of you was through the atonement of a sacrifice. So here's this three- and four-year-old kid, and daily they're experiencing the sacrifice of animals. I mean, what a, a heavy thing for a young child to be around all the time of someone coming in with the weight of their transgressions, with the weight of, I stole from someone this year, I was violent towards someone this year, I had an adulterous relationship this year, and I have sin on my heart, 
and the only way that I can cleanse this sin is by offering the sacrifice. And Samuel sees these things happening. He's watching the pattern of worship going. Most historians believe that by the time we get to 1 Samuel chapter 3, that Samuel is about 11 years old. So imagine an 11-year-old. I can imagine one. I have one that lives in my house. And you have this 11-year-old child who has now been in the temple for many years, who is part of the process. He knows his way around. He knows the pattern of the things that happen. And he lays down in bed one night, and he hears this audible voice, Samuel, would you be terrified? <laughs> like, like what, what would your reaction be if you're laying in bed tonight and someone calls out you by name? And he does what I'm guessing an 11-year-old would do, and he goes try and finds out who's talking to him. And so he goes to the priest that's there that at that time was Eli, and he goes to the priest and he asks him, you know, what's, what do you need? If I'm going to diagnose Samuel's heart here, I think what I would say is I would say that his heart was ready to hear God, but his ears were not yet ready. That I think what we know about Samuel we know about how he grew up. We knew the amazing miracle from which he was born. We know the amazing sacrifice that his mom made, that he would grow up in the house of the Lord. That we can believe that Samuel was a kid whose heart was inclined towards God. He wanted to please God. He had seen the worship of the church, and he wanted to be a part of this story. But yet his ears weren't quite ready. They weren't quite tuned in yet to recognize the voice of God. I think about the noise that we live in, and we live in a lot of noise. You know, I'm someone who likes the radio, and so I've got, you know, three or four different stations that I flip between when I'm driving in the car, and there's those moments where God just politely tells me to shut up and just to be silent and just to turn that off. I'm the type of person that if you put me on a long car ride, I'm immediately on my phone. It's like, ah, free time. I'm going to catch up with this person, this person. I got this phone call to make, this phone call to make. And it's so easy to fill every, every space with something. And I sometimes question my ability to listen well and to be able to get that noise to sound down and to have that space where I become someone who is acutely listening to God. And Samuel became that boy that he was trained in this moment to transition his hearing from someone who is unfamiliar with the voice of God to become someone who was familiar with the voice of God. And it is this amazing miracle to be that 11-year-old kid, to be someone who works that way. Sermon 1 ends this way. Listen carefully. Listen carefully. There's so much that I think we miss without having the discipline of listening in our lives, without having that pause point. My fear is that God would call to me, and I would, it would just sound like white noise to me because everything else is going on. But have I quieted my soul? Am I someone who is developing the skill set of listening carefully for the voice of God, of being in tune with him? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to listen carefully. We live in a world with a whole lot of shouting. And I pray, God, that we would be in tune to your voice. We don't want to be a people who is confused or, or 
unaware of when you're speaking to us. We want to be a people who are seeking after your voice with a heart that is turned towards you, with a heart turned towards God. I pray, God, that you would enhance our listening tonight. Allow us to be with you and to hear you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our sermon tonight starts in the book of Judges. So turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter 16, verse 29 to 30. It says this, Judges 16, 29 to 30. Then Samson put his hands on the two center pillars that held up the temple, pushing against them with both hands. He prayed, let me die with the Philistines. And the temple crashed down on the Philistine rulers and all the people. So he killed more people when he died than he had during his entire lifetime. I'm going to warn you in advance, this was the G-rated sermon tonight. If I was preaching to children, I would have just given this one and I would have stopped right there. So if there's a child in the room tonight, just do one of these. It's going to be okay. Samson. We know the story of Samson. We know he was this like, amazing strength guy that God gave this strength to. But do you remember what his job was? So his job was he was a judge. And the word judge is kind of not the right word to use when you're describing the role that he had. It's like the best English word you can find to describe the function, but it still doesn't really encapsulate what it is. Because when we think about judges, we kind of think about our American government system where there are people like Pat Mashensky in our church who are a judge, and their service is to make rulings on individual cases that they receive as part of a larger governmental system. So we have judges, but then we also have police officers, and we also have a president, and we have Congress, and we have all of these different organizations that make up our government, of which a judge is one part of that. Well, during this time of history in Israel, in between Moses and in between the kings, there is this long period where judges reigned in Israel, and when there was a judge, they were not part of the governmental system. They were the entire governmental system wrapped into one person. So they were the person who would, yes, make decisions on individual cases that were brought to them, but they were the, also the person who would lead military conquests. They were also the spiritual leader who would hear the voice of God and share it with the people that they were leading. So this judge, though they were not a king, had kind of all of these responsibles, responsibilities wrapped up in there Samson was the 12th judge that we find in the book of Judges, and then there's this guy that comes after Samson. He is the next person to hold this role, and his name was Eli. And Eli was a judge who led Israel during this time and yet had some trouble. And one of the biggest trouble pieces that Eli had was his sons. Eli had this holy calling to lead Israel during this time with all of these responsibilities. And Eli had two sons, and the Bible tells us that his two sons were very, very wicked. And the way that their wickedness showed up was in two ways. One of them is that in the sacrifices that were given, the atonement for sin, the Eli's sons would steal meat in an inappropriate way. Were you saying, well, what's, what's an inappropriate way to steal meat? Well, there was a process to this ritual where when they would give a sacrifice, they would always give the best to God. And so they would wait for the sacrifice to burn up, for the meat to be cooked down, 
and then the priests who lived there were allowed then at the end of the process to take a small part of this meat, and that's how they were able to eat and be fed. Well, Eli's sons weren't satisfied with waiting. They wanted something better. I mean, if you can imagine taking like a really great cut of filet and then like boiling it in water on your stovetop, it seems like a sin, but it was actually a sin to do it the other way around. And so they had the process that you would take what was left, and Eli's sons were thinking, no, no, I, I want this better. And they would pull the rare uncooked meat out of the sacrifice so they could go roast it and cook it, and it would taste better that way. The Bible even goes as far to explain the weight problem that Eli's sons have, that they were very obese because they would just sit around and eat, and they would steal from the sacrifices that people were bringing to God in an unholy way, putting themselves above the sacrifice, making themselves first. And this was a very wicked thing to do. The other wickedness that we are, that we are taught about in the Bible about Eli's sons is that they would go out into the temple courts and they would seduce the women who were serving out there and bring them in and have inappropriate relationships with them. And that gravity of that sin just cannot be underplayed, that they would use their power and their authority to pull in these women and victimize them in the house of God was such a terrible thing to be done. And Eli is here watching his two sons do this, and Eli knows that it's wrong. You know, the word judge is not actually in the Hebrew language. It's not a noun. It's a verb. And so it's not saying that he was a judge. It's saying that he judged Israel, that he administered justice over Israel. And so his job was not just a title, it was an action that he was supposed to be living out and administering justice over Israel, and Eli is failing to do this. There's one spot where he addresses his sons in this weak way, and then nothing changes, and his sons continue to abuse the power of the temple in this devastating way. And all of this is going on as you're watching a man who had a holy calling go farther and farther away from his holy calling, from administering justice. He's letting all of this slide. He's scooting it under the rug as he's literally getting fat on the atoning sacrifices of the people walking in the doors of the temple. Until one day, Eli's there, and he sees this crazy woman over in the temple and she's muttering, and he's so confused by what's going on, he assumes his first guess is that she's drunk. And so Eli walks over, in the middle of all of this wickedness and sin going on in the temple, walks over to this woman and says, what are you doing? I can't believe you're drunk inside the temple. Get out of here. And this woman turns and says, it's not what you think. I am weeping because my heart is heavy. So that woman was Hannah, and it is heartbreaking to me to think that Eli's first guess when he saw someone who was pouring their heart out to God, who was weeping in humility before the true God, his first guess is that she was drunk. This was the type of place that the temple had become. And God was furious at this. We always tell this story about Samuel being called to children. There's part of 1 Samuel chapter 3 that we basically never tell children, and I'm going to make sure you know what it is, because God calls Samuel, Samuel, but do you remember what he tells Samuel? Because it's kind of dark, 
and I think we should read it. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 11. So he goes, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel says, here I am. And then the Lord said to Samuel, so he's talking to this 11-year-old child. He says, I am about to do a shocking thing in Israel. I am going to carry out all my threats against Eli and his family from beginning to the end. Ah! Can you imagine? Can you imagine being this 11-year-old child? I'm sorry. you What a devastating thing. It's the little boy who's growing up in church, and the first thing he hears from God is God going, Samuel, Samuel, there's unholiness in my house, and you, my dear 11-year-old boy, I am calling you to administer justice. There is unrighteousness here, and I need someone who is going to hear my voice. And Samuel, you're the guy. You're the guy who is going to restore justice into my house. There is this phenomenal conversation that happens the next morning. Samuel wakes up. I can only imagine what he's thinking after hearing this message from God. And Eli finds him in the morning, and Eli threatens the 11-year-old boy, and he says, I will kill you right now if you don't tell me exactly what God told you last night. Why? Because God had stopped talking to Eli. The conversation was over. The communication had shut down. And a man who was once called to administer justice had been pulled out of the role. And he was getting replaced by an 11-year-old child. This is one of the weights that I feel in the role that I have in this church. And that anyone should feel in the role of serving in God's community. God's will is irreplaceable. I am replaceable. There is an unstoppable will of God that will not be held back. The Bible says that, that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, against the kingdom of God. It will grow and it will expand. But that is not about you. You are replaceable. If you do not submit your heart to God, if you are not in line with him, if you are not living out and administering justice in the places that God has placed you into authority, he is going to call somebody else. And that hits me. And I think it should hit every single person in the room. If you sit in this room and you think, uh, I, I, I don't have a big role, I don't have a big authority, a big title, I disagree. I think if you have breath in your lungs, you have the privilege to exist, and you get to choose whether or not that breath is used to bring righteousness into this world or whether or not that breath is used to bring unrighteousness into this world. God has called every single one of us to administer justice in the areas that we have authority over, to be keepers of his kingdom, to be clearers of the temple, so that his house would be a house of prayer. And I don't mean this building. I mean the realm that he has put you into. That you would be a minister of justice. The second sermon ends this way. Live justly. Live justly. I do not want to be an Eli. I don't want my story to end this way. Eli dies in a very graphic way. There's one day where his two sons, his wicked sons, go out to battle, and they die in battle, and the messenger comes back to tell Eli, 
And the Bible describes it in this graphic way because it talks about the weight that Eli had because of the sacrifices he had been stealing. And this really heavy man is sitting in his chair, and when he hears the message of his son's dying, he falls back in his chair, hits his head, and dies. What a tragic loss from someone who once heard the voice of God. It calls me to action. I want to be someone who is administering justice in the areas that God has given me authority. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would call each one of us to recognize the areas of justice that you have given us space of the communities in our workplaces, in our families, in our neighborhoods, that we can be a bringer of righteousness, that we can be calling people to make your house a good house in our own houses and living space. If there are unrighteous things in our house tonight, I pray that you would help us to go home and get rid of them immediately. I pray that you would help us to cancel subscriptions. I pray that you would help us to shut down open doors of sin in our life. We don't want you to call someone else we want you to be with us, Lord. Don't go away from us. Don't stand far off. Be someone who stays in relationship with us, God, that we would be administers of your justice in this world. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. Our sermon tonight starts in Psalm chapter 99. Psalm chapter 99, verse 5 and 6. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. He is holy. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel was among those who called on his name. They called on the Lord, and he answered them. Samuel was a man who had relationship with God, who knew him, who spoke to him, and he spoke back, and he stayed in this relationship because Samuel did not always stay an 11-year-old boy. He grew up, and his surroundings changed, but his relationship with God did not change. There's a dark side in what Samuel's story because Samuel also had sons. He also had two sons. And something that I am positive that broke Samuel's heart is that he had two wicked sons. And his sons cheated the house of God in a different way by accepting bribes and by getting financially rich over the sacrifices that were being bought and the people that would exchange currency within the house of the temple. They would receive bribes and they would get rich from this. And this broke Samuel's heart that after he had seen everything that had happened to Eli, after he had seen Eli's son be so wicked and the way that it disconnected Eli from the voice of God, Samuel had to watch that happen to his own family and that heartbreaking moment to see that happen. And yet Samuel never stopped talking to God. At the end of the time of the judges, when the judges' rule was over, there's a big change that happens in the kingdom of Israel. And the big change that happens is the people of Israel cry out and they say, we want a king. We are tired of having just a judge. We want a king like other nations have a king. And there's this big conversation back and forth between the people, between Samuel, between God, until God makes the decision to say, Let's give him a king. And there is this amazing ceremony that happens decades and decades and decades after Samuel was this 11-year-old boy. And he's standing out in front of the people of Israel, ready to give them a king, ready to step back from being the authority, from having the job, and placing someone else in this role of power in the kingdom. 
And he has this amazing thing he says in 1 Samuel chapter 12. It says this, I have served as your leader from the time I was a boy to this very day. Now, testify against me in the presence of the Lord and before his anointed one, whose ox or donkey have I stolen? Have I ever cheated any of you? Have I ever oppressed you? Have I ever taken a bribe and perverted justice? Tell me and I will make it right whatever I have done wrong. What a heart turned towards God of someone who had been in the business for decades and yet had never lost touch with the true purpose he had, who had never lost connection with the voice of God and would stand there at the end of all of this and be able to stand there with clean hands and say, have I ever cheated you? Have I ever wronged you? And if I have wronged you, let me know. And I want to make it right. I want to administer justice in the areas that God has given me authority. I want to have clean hands. I want a heart that is turned towards God. I want to be in connection with him. And Samuel stands that day, and he anoints this new man named Saul to be the first king of Israel. You know, Samuel lived a very long life. And there's a time where you thought for sure that his time was over. And yet Samuel continues to stand there, even on the sidelines, as people lose touch with God. He is the godly person in the room watching so many people falter as he stays in connection. And even the first king of Israel, even Saul, loses that place, and Saul loses his connection with God. He loses his righteousness, and Samuel has to watch the first king of Israel fall and become this disobedient king of a king who is out of relationship with God. Do you know what the last thing is in the Bible that we see Samuel doing? The very last thing at the end of his life, the Bible says he lived into his 90s. And this 11-year-old boy in his 90s has one job left. And I love this job because even after his sons had gone astray, even after the first king of Israel had gone astray, Samuel gets one more call from God. And God says, Samuel, there's a little boy that I need you to go anoint as king. And Samuel goes over to a man named Jesse's house and he says, Saul has turned away, and God has called me to bring a new king into Israel. So let's line him up. And Jesse lines up all of these, you know, his, his oldest son, his most handsome son, his biggest son. And this 11-year-old boy who has a connection to God stands there and goes, ha uh nope, 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 not, not, not this one, none of this. I want you to go find that little boy who is out in the fields taking care of the sheep, and that's the kid. That's the one who is going to be the line of Christ. And that little boy's name was David, and he was the king of Israel. And David is the lineage of Jesus Christ. He is the one who was the great-grandfather that leads us to a baby born in a manger. He is the path towards salvation. And I cannot tell you the joy that it brings me to think of a 99-year-old, 11-year-old standing in that room and saying, the kid, get the kid. 
The kid is the one whose heart is turned towards, towards God. He's the one who's going to make it. We all live in a world where we make mistakes. We are human people. We are going to make mistakes. We're going to falter. We're going to mess up. There is going to be sin in our life. And yet, when you have a heart that is turned towards God, when you have a relationship with God that says, I want to hear your voice, and there is nothing in this world that is more important to me than to maintain my connection with you, to listen carefully, to live justly, and to love God un ceasingly. I'm not taking a break. I'm not stepping away from this. I am always going to be in relationship with you, and I can see that through the waves of life, through the people who make it and the people who don't. I can keep having relationship with you. I can love God unceasingly. I want that. I want to be a 99-year-old, 11-year-old. And to know what it is to walk through life and love God unceasingly. And when I trip, to get back up and say, God, I want to hear your voice. I want to be in relationship with you. I want to know your voice. Can you put all three of these up here again? So listen carefully. Live justly. Love God unceasingly. Let's pray together tonight. I thank you, God, for walking with us through this, this story tonight. I pray, Lord, that the truth would land on us through the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that your Holy Spirit would allow us to be shifted in the priorities of our life. It's easy to become obsessed with the noise. It's easy to walk away. And I pray, Lord, that you would call us today to listen carefully, to live justly, to love God unceasingly. I pray, Lord, that you would allow your presence to be in this place tonight. I pray that as we go home from this place, that in our quiet times, that we would hear your voice. I pray that you would allow us to be tuned in to you. And that as you speak to us, even in this week, that we would have a, a new level of hearing, a new level of following after you. We thank you, God, that you're good. We thank you for this place. We thank you for this group. And we pray that you would continue to show your favor to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we get to see you in person. You are invited to join us on Wednesday evenings here at Oak Creek Assembly of God. We are a church that exists to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. Find us online at oakcreekag.org.